Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I'm your host, Michael Columbus. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And uh, today, I am not only your host, but uh, I'll be walking you through um, some uh, some work that we've done over the last um, couple of years that uh, we're uh, really excited to bring to you. And it's um, actually the last couple of years, last couple of months. So it's... Uh, Today we're talking about what's your family business's return on trust. And you know, if you've joined any of our podcasts, uh, any of the webinars over the last several months since you know, COVID has started and been a part of our lives, um, we have said repeatedly that you know, the decisions that you make today as a leader in your business will be remembered for years. And we explain that now is the time to lead by example, to build trust and know that you are being watched by, you know, not only employees, but customers and vendors as well. And now is the time to listen more than ever, to be empathetic, allow team meetings to wander a little bit and be personal. Um, and above all else to allow yourself to be, you know, a little, vulnerable and share with your team. Um, in the last, you know, three to four weeks as, you know, this has been unfolding for different people and um, some of these business, some businesses are opening back up again. Um, I've heard stories and I just wanted to share, you know, kind of some examples. Um, one, you know, one was from the, the same exact industry and, you know, one company leader, called an all hands you know, on deck meeting on a Thursday and told the entire team that they were to report to the office on Monday um, since they were you know, um, deemed essential and you know, they put some um, things in place to make sure that everybody was gonna be you know, healthy and safe and you know, they had it all covered. And there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Well, you know, here was an organization that had been away from the office now for two months, um, people's kids are home, and there wasn't uh, conversations about, you know, what's going on for you? How is this affecting you? What if you have viruses? Or what if you have, you know, worries about the virus? Um, it just was, you know, could have been done differently. Versus a, another president of a company in exactly the same industry, um, the president, you know, got everybody um, on a webinar and explained to them that out of an abundance of caution, they weren't gonna be opening up any of the offices nationally until at least July 15th. That we, you know, we feel that you know, people are doing a great job considering 
you know, not being able to come into the office and we're all juggling and we're in this together and we just, we just want everybody to be safe and we don't want, you know, this to affect anybody's um, lives or families and we'll get through this. It may be longer than July 15th, but uh, we'll get there. Um, another local company, um, they had cut employees hours to stay afloat and you know, some of the employees were talking like, well, you know, let's, you know, go and get unemployment for the difference. And uh, there was a, a no note that came through, but a couple of phone calls were made from the, you know, the company's HR director that basically said that, you know, if you fight this, if you file for unemployment, or if you file for unemployment, we're going to fight it. Um, and again, so I go back and I say, you know, which leader are you going to go to bat for in the future? Which leader just lost all trust and respect of his people, her people? They aren't, you know, they're people any longer realistically. And I, you know, so we talk about what are each of those leaders return on trust? And it's, and it's important. Um, I did this um, program originally for um, the, uh, um, Tech Rochester, and, and I have expanded this to, um, you know, the, the family business focus. Um, but when we're, when we're looking at family businesses, you know, we've got our KPIs from a business perspective that are important. Costs, gro you know, gross margin, um, you know, the cost of goods sold, our inventory terms, safety incidents. You might be looking at net promoter scores or burn rates. Um, they're all important KPIs. And the one piece that I would throw to people is that make sure that you're looking at, you know, some of your most important KPIs, which are, in my opinion, the one common denominator that drives all of those KPIs is your people. It's your, your, your team, your customer, your vendors, your investors. Um, and you'll notice I said team. Um, a lot of times, you know, we refer to the people that work for us as our staff. Um, and one of my mentors said to me a long time ago, staff is infection, we work with a team. And that kind of stuck. And, you know, I told my, you know, my staff at the time, you know, that if ever I, those words utter my, out of my mouth, please remind me because I definitely think of you as my team. Um, and uh, couldn't do this without any one of you. So it's, um, there, there's some common denominators. And like I said, it's all about people and people inherent, inherently need to feel trust. Um, you've also been on one of my webinars recently. You've heard me talk about um, the book, um, The Trillion Dollar Coach. Well, this is him. This is Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell had a great, you know, quote um, when, you know, he was coaching um, Google and uh, Facebook and, um, you know, Jeff Bezos were people that he coached. So was, he was in the tech industry, but he sent, spent some time in upstate New York. He spent some time at Kodak. And, you know, what he realized is that, you know, highly competitive, he said technology driven businesses, but I would, I would gather that it's any high, you know, um, high performance team is all about the people, you know, employees build great products, they sell great products, they service your customers, customers buy your products, use your products, talk to other, you know, people about your product, vendors fulfill your supply chain, investors fund your growth. It's the people that matter. 
And so if it's the people that matter, then we really need to spend some time really digging in to what are the common denominators, what drive people. And for those of you, you know, who may not have heard of a psychologist named Abraham Maslow, he created something called, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the five needs, you know, come back to the physiological needs, our safety needs, love and belonging, esteem and self-actualization. So, you know, when we look at physiological, it's food, water, shelter, safety is security and protection. Um, you know, love, you know, the love and belonging is friends and lovers, esteem is, you know, feeling respect and, you know, um, self-esteem and recognition. And then the self-actualization needs is, you know, living to fulfill one's potential at the highest level that they can. And um, I would, you know, share with you that what we know today is that unless somebody's base needs, unless their physiological and their safety needs are being met, it's either difficult or impossible to get to a point where you can attend to our other higher level needs, the social needs. And today, I think it's more important than ever before that we really take some time to think about this um, with all the things that are going on in the world. You know, um, and this isn't a political statement. It's, you know, I, I've spoken to enough, um, you know, African-Americans, black members of our community, and they have said when, you know, there are times that they do not feel safe. And it's really difficult to move on to those higher levels if you don't feel safe. Um, that comes from a standpoint of personal security and employment, um, you know, owning property and, you know, having the resources that you need and you've got your health behind you. So I would poke that as an employer, as business owners, it becomes our job, it becomes our responsibility um, it comes down to building trust with both the employees and the customers that we're going to help them meet their needs. So if we start to look at those things, you know, I, I think the question becomes, are you helping your employees meet their basic needs? Are your employees able to feed their families, put a roof over their heads and not work three jobs to make ends meet? Can they see a doctor without worry? Is work a safe space? Do they understand um, is, is their life a safe space? Are we asking ourselves, you know, that question of all of our employees and asking, you know, are you in a safe space? If they're not in a safe space um, outside of work, then what can we do to help? And those are the kinds of things that begin to build trust. Another book that I don't mention inside here is um, uh, Matt Kelly. Matthew Kelly wrote a book called The Dream Manager. Um, and it goes a lot further than just basic needs, but uh, I think it's a great, you know, um, topic to be talking about. What are we doing to help them build friendships? Would their family be proud of their work? Are they happy with their work? Um, not every minute of every day and every task do they have to do, do they have to be happy with, but there's gotta be something about their job that they love. And, you know, one of the things that my team and I talk about all the time is that, you know, we make sure that we hire different personality types and different people that enjoy different things so that, you know, we can make sure that people are doing tasks that they love. There are a number of tasks that I detest doing. And there are people that are on my team that they love that work. And that's what makes all of this, 
you know, work for us? Um, is every position within the organization respected? And do they know how their contribution matters? And are they recognized when it counts? Can people advance? Is there growth and movement if they do the necessary work to get there? In our area, in Rochester, you know, we've experienced Kodak, layoffs from Xerox, and Bausch and Lam. We've had our share of layoffs. We've had our share of lost trust. And so I, you know, look at this um, and talk about, you know, what would be the return on trust for your company? Have you asked? Have you talked to people about, you know, how are they doing? What's going on, especially right now? Um, I reached out to um, uh, the, the, the SFSP, Society of Financial Service Professionals, and the Financial Planning Association locally and you know, challenge them to say, what are we doing as organizations? I, um, part of the, the Gravitas Impact coaching, Premium Coaches you know, organization, I said, what are we doing as an organization to do our best, to put our best foot forward, to understand what is going on right now and getting our employees involved and finding out you know, what does this mean to all of them? And I think, you know, um, we're in a position where as business owners, we can do some pretty important things for the, um, the community. And I know we all do, you know, I know we all do our best to do that. But so here's some information from the, um, the Edelman Trust Barometer. And this is where the family business, you know, piece starts to come into play a little bit more. What I, what I shared before, that's, that works for just about any business owner. That works for all people as we're doing these things. But now... You know, it becomes really important to look at the data that's out there. And when we say, you know, um, they're looking for shared action, my employer has a greater purpose and my job has a meaningful societal impact. People are looking for this, especially in that 20 to 35 year old range. Um, some of the times it's just a strong expectation, but you know, think, look at that, the, the, you know, my job has a meaningful, meaningful societal impact. 27% said it would be a deal breaker if, the, if it wasn't there. Personal empowerment. I know what is going on. I'm part of the planning process. They, you know, people want to be part of growing the business. They want to be built right in there, um, you know, and, and have a meaningful impact. Uh, another book, you know, I, I got a lot out of was The Great Game of Business. And I think that Jack Stack, did a, a really great job of you know, helping people to understand um, how powerful it can be to get every member of the business, every employee involved so that they understand the impact that they have on the numbers um, and what they have on the, the, the bottom line. Um, they also want you know, a culture that is values driven. And as family owned businesses, um, you know, more often than not, there are family values that are trickled down through the organization. Well, I would say rather than just trickle them down, make sure that they're you know picked up and and talked about. And then job opportunities. You know, I find um, interesting and fulfilling job opportunities in what I'm doing. That's 80% were either strong expectation or would be a deal breaker if it wasn't available to them. I love um, Southwest Airlines and the. Um, founder Herb Kelleher 
um, just did a great job of taking their company strategy. And I don't know, we, you know we, I could talk about Southwest for an awful long time. I think they're a great example of this, but their strategy was real simple. It was wheels up. It was two words, drove all of their revenues for years, still do. They know that if they have planes with their wheels up and flying with, filled with happy customers, that they're going to grow their revenues. Well, you know, Herb said it's the company's responsibility to look after your employees first. Happy employees ensure happy customers, happy customers ensure happy shareholders, and it's in that order that it makes sense. And I think it it's really important to you know, follow that and do that inside of um, our businesses. According to a Gallup study, almost 70% of employees feel disengaged today. And that causes apathy, and that apathy costs U.S. companies between $450 billion to $550 billion in lost productivity per year. And in another Gallup study, they found that when managers and teams are trusted, so back to why we're talking about this, when managers and teams are trusted, held accountable, and relentlessly supported, they themselves size up the problems they're facing and take a hands-on approach to solving them. In other words, what? They're more engaged. Why? Because they're trusted. So I go back and this has been a really, really good, you know, study and work that I've done even for our own business because, you know, I, I tell my team, I grew up in the, you know, you eat what you kill um, kind of phase when I was, you know, starting my practice 20 years ago. And so, you know, um, everything was on me. It was my decisions. It was my things. And, you know, I didn't have a team when I started. And then so learning to do that and learning to build a team and put those pieces together um, has been really tough. So what's the return on trust for your firm, for your business? What is each of your team members the CEO of? And I love that question. What is each team member the CEO of? What are they responsible for? Have you given them the trust to excel at their job? Have you given them the trust to change your business for the better? And are you being vulnerable and transparent with your team? And this one I get you know, pushed back on all the time, especially with some of the family businesses that I've served through the years. They're like, they don't need to know the numbers. They don't need to understand how, you know, how the numbers work inside the business. They just need to do their job. And um, I would challenge that. I, you know, I have over the last couple of years started to share the numbers with my team. Um, they, it helps them to understand you know, what do we have to do as a team in order for um, people to get raises, for people to get bonuses? And, you know, we're working really hard to continually do that with our teams. Um, and I would, you know, put it out to you that uh, it, it's great conversations to have. So now we were talking about engagement. Here's what great news. Family business employees are more engaged than non-family member, non-family owned you know, uh, competitors. And so when you start to look at that, you know, look at those questions there. I would feel comfortable pressuring management to weigh in on important social and political issues. There's a 9% advantage there. I participate in the organi organization's social media activities. Now think about that nine point difference for the family owned business versus the non-family owned business. It's nice, you know, and I, Nick, I see that you're on here. I've seen your social media. I love your social media. Um, getting employees engaged in that to share it and put it out there would, you know, 
is helpful. And Lori, I would imagine the, the same thing for you and Jeff. That's, you know, phenomenal is, you know, getting employees engaged in what we're doing. I publicly support the decisions that taken by the organization. There's an eight percentage advantage to family owned businesses. And that's just, these were just surveys again of broad based done by the Edelman Trust Barometer. Go out and take a peek at them. Edelman Trust Barometer, family owned businesses. And there's, he's been, they've been doing these surveys for a number of years. It's really important that you understand, you know, what's going on there. Um, we like to, you know, we've been studying this and, you know, we think that one of the, the best people that um, we have found in the area of teams um, is Patrick Lencioni. And Patrick Lencioni, everybody knows him from the five dysfunctions of a team. I've definitely talked about that um, a number of times, but so let's just go through what those five dysfunctions are. And number one is absence of trust. And it was really powerful for me when I started to understand one of the, the pieces, one of the, the biggest components of what that meant. And it's the fear of being vulnerable presents team members from building trust with one another. In other words, they're not being human. You know, you're not allowed to make mistakes. You're not allowed to come up with silly ideas that, you know, may or may not work for our business. Um, and there, we don't have the trust to be able to have tough conversations. So that goes into dysfunction number two, which is the fear of conflict. And so that desire to preserve artificial harmony stifles productive ideological conflict within the team. And you know, some of our best stuff has come from the, the, my team you know, having conflict with me and, and coming back and saying, you know, Michael, we hear what you're saying and that might've worked 20 years ago, but that doesn't work today or a number of other conversations. And let me tell you, um, the first bunch of times that that happens, you know, I get those butterflies in my, in my stomach and that's really that fight or flight. I'm like, wait a minute, that's my idea. What are you doing with my idea? And the best things have come from allowing that to happen. Dysfunction number three is lack of commitment. And the lack of commitment typically comes in the nature of either lack of clarity or the, uh, a lack of buy-in preventing the team from making the decisions that they stick to. And where I, you know, what I found here is that people don't necessarily have to get their way every single time. My team doesn't always, you know, I, I don't always agree with them. And sometimes I do make that decision to say, we're, we're going in this direction. Um, but what I learned is, and I need this for myself, is I need to be heard and I need to be listened to. So even if we go in another direction, um, you know, that lack of commitment comes from the fact that we're not being heard. So if we don't have buy-in, we can't move on. So in allowing people to feel trusted, allow that conflict to happen and hear other people's, you know, opinions and ideas and where they're at with things, that brings that ability to get clarity and closure and move on in that arena. Um, Patrick Lencioni comes back with dysfunction number four is that avoidance of accountability. And this is what I would say is confronting the brutal truths, confront difficult issues and be able to hit them head on. It's the need to avoid interpersonal discomfort. Um, and it prevents team members from holding each other accountable for the behaviors. And you know, I, I've seen this in some of the teams that we've coached where, you know, somebody has not bought into the fact that they brought in a business coach 
Um, and as I've said before, a bunch of times, everyone needs a coach and they, they roll their eyes and, you know, come to find out that they didn't just roll their eyes at me, but they've been rolling their eyes whenever the boss wasn't looking to other people. And so it's, you know, having that ability to say, hey, Mary, um, what, did that, what did you mean by that eye roll? You know, I, I happen to catch that. And holding people accountable for their behaviors or that person that's always picking up their computer and, you know, they say they're taking notes on their laptop, but you know that they're not hearing you when you're in the middle of a team meeting. And then finally, dysfunction number five is the inattention to results. Um, we need to focus on outcomes, but you know, if we can't get to the trust, the conflict, the commitment, the accountability, how are we ever going to get to focusing on the results? And it's the pursuit of individual goals and personal status erodes the team's focus when we're not collectively focused on success. And one of the things that um, Lencioni also talked about in his book, I, I don't remember the title, but it was about silos. Silos is in the title of it. And it's once, you know, we're focused on the team's results, the business's results, then we're not always focused on what's happening for our department. So sometimes, you know, if we don't get through the trust, the conflict, and the commitment, the accountability, we're not going to be able to get to where we're focused on the results. And the team's results mean more to every department than the de department's, you know, results mean. Um, so it's important. These are, you know, just great, um, you know, tools that I think that every, you know, business leader and leadership team should be talking about with one another. Um, you know, there were some great questions and I, you know, would go through and I would challenge each of you to just to take a second and just write down which ones you're saying yes and no to on, the, on these questions. Do your team members openly and readily disclose their opinions? Um, are your team meetings compelling and productive? And what I mean by that is, you know, do they allow for um, conflict? Do they allow for, you know, have you built up that level of trust so that people can, um, you know, change, exchange ideas in an open format? And that makes meetings not boring whatsoever. Um, as long as it's get done in a respectful manner, it's healthy conflict is what we're talking about. Does your team come to decisions quickly and avoid getting bogged down by consensus? We don't have to all agree. We just need to have all been heard. Um, do your team members confront one another about their shortcomings? They, we need to. We need to hold each other accountable for what we're doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis so that we can, you know, um, move forward in a positive manner. Uh, do your team members sacrifice their own interests for the good of the team? And that's really important that there are, will be times when it's not about me right now, it's about the team. And we need to be able to, to do those things. If you answered all, you know, all five of these with a yes, great job. Your return on trust will certainly pay off through the years as you're doing things. But um, if you've answered no to any of these questions, you know, it's a good time to reflect. If you haven't read Patrick Lencioni's you know, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I'd highly recommend it. And I think that you'd get a lot out of going through it. This I just found, um, you know, to be really smack you right in the eyes here is that the trust gap comparing trust in businesses in general and family owned businesses. If you look at the US right there, there is a 13 point gap. I'm sorry, it's a 23, 24% uh, 24 point gap between family owned businesses and non family owned businesses. And so 
you know, I go back and say, you know, what are we doing to leverage the fact that you have trust coming right out of the gate and make sure that you're compounding what you have. And back to our, uh, um, yeah, Bill Campbell, um, you know, Bill Campbell says you need to trust your managers and make sure that they trust their team. Jim Collins says it differently. He says, make sure that you've identified the right seats. What are the right functions within the business? And then make sure that you have the right people in those seats and that those right seats are filled, the right people are doing them and what they're doing the right things. So there's just some great, you know, topics around these things and building teams is all about trusting them. Um, what Bill Campbell did with the people that he coached on a regular basis was spent time watching them, how they interacted with their team. And that's what he coached them on. He's not going to coach Google on their algorithm. He's not going to coach Facebook on their algorithm or Amazon on which products that they should be doing. That's, it was all about, you know, how do you work with your team and how do you build, you know, more loyalty within your team? This is interesting. This is, you know, where family businesses, you know, have a shortfall in what they're doing. Um, there is, you know, uh, there, there's a gap in what is expected from employees and um, what the employer's performance actually is. It's a 16 point gap in wages. Well, here's the good news. Compare that to non-family owned businesses that have a 24, 24 point gap. Career opportunities, a 15 point gap versus 19. Regular communication, 15 versus 17. That's phenomenal. Um, you know, that the, you know the, the gap is only 15, but we have room for improvement there. Training programs, 11. Employees have a voice, 10. Um, but look at that compared to in the large non-family owned businesses where they have a 18 point gap. So I go back and say, you know, this is so important that we understand and we invest in trust because the returns are higher. And what are your return, you know, on what has your return been on trust in the last two to three months? What is your return on trust going to be over the next 12 months? And if you want an even higher return on trust, what I would throw to you is that, you know, the right business coach that you trust, um, you know, would probably help. And I would think that if Steve Jobs, Larry Page and Sergey Brin and Eric Schmidt, Jeff Bezos and Sheryl Sandberg all hired a coach to help them in, in working through their team. Because at the end of the day, remember, it's all about people. So that means people need to feel trust and go back to Maslow's pyramid and make sure that we're working on those five different areas. Um, it wouldn't make sense that, you know, we all have a coach that is helping us to look at um, what we're doing with our team and how we're building our teams. Um, family businesses perceived as more values driven among employees. And this is one of the reasons why that trust is inherent is because of the family's values. An organization acts on its values. That's a 10%, 10 point advantage. CEO speaks up on issues. It's okay to speak up on issues that are out in society today. Eight point advantage. CEO, the CEO embodies organization's values. Only a five point um, difference on that one. But again, all of those things, look at how you know, important they are to people as, as we're doing these things. 
So I would throw out to you that it's a time, and you've heard, you know, hopefully heard me talk about this, but today we're going to go through and, you know, go through some examples of how to do these things. Among large family business employees, 80% um, say knowing the CEO's personal values is important to building trust. How cool is that? They want to know, you know, what do you believe in and what are your values? 79% say knowing the obstacles the CEO overcame to become successful is important to building trust. I think we've talked about that in past, you know, um, episodes of the Family Biz Show where, you know, we talked about it's time to share your struggles. It's time to talk about other times when we've overcome things uh, within the family business. And then 76% say knowing the CEO's personal philanthropic opportunities go a long way towards building trust. So today I'm, we're going to talk, you know, a little bit about core ideologies and we're going to focus in on core purpose and core values as we're doing this. Um, and we want to introduce what these, you know, are all about. In his book, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins studied the attributes of top performing companies and enduring top um, you know, enduring top performing companies had great cultures and delivered consistently strong financial performance for shareholders. Basically, you know, they did three things consistently. And we've I mentioned it before, but they had the right people on the bus in the company. The right people um, were doing the right things and the right people would do the right things um, the right way. And they would execute with excellence. And you know, in order to find out who the right people are, who the right people on the bus need to be, it's vital for companies to clarify and have clarity around their core purpose and their core values. That becomes the culture that attracts people. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, what I've heard from people is they say, well, if I put my core values down in writing and I tell people before they're even hired, what our core values are, it might scare them away. And I would say, good. There's enough people out there and what, you know, putting your core values and your core purpose down on paper and sharing it inside the interview process and looking for ways to hear it from people in the interview, whether they share those core values and core purpose, um, that will go a long ways to providing a culture fit. And how many times have you, you know, had an employee in your business that you sit there and say, they do good work. They're, they're a good employee, but there's just something off. It just doesn't feel right. And that's typically what it would come back to is in this arena um, that the culture fit is off a little bit. So let's talk about, you know, um, some examples of this. Whole Foods founded in Austin, Texas um, in the early 80s, uh, by John McKay and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Renee something, I apologize. They wanted to simply provide wholesome groceries, right? That were, you know, part of their local community. They were sourced locally. They were good for the people that bought them, good for the suppliers, everybody, you know, and provided, um, you know, that the, and it was good for the environment. Um, well, they began with a purpose through hard work and delivering quality products, they developed a really loyal following of customers. And then a flood. 1981 Memorial Day flood brought uh, torrential rains to Austin and Whole Foods, the, you know, where they were, was flooded for days. 
and they, you know, just being newly started, you know, at a few years old, um, they thought that they were going to be out of business and that their dream was over. Um, and, you know, what was amazing is because they had shared their purpose and their core values, customers from around the community showed up with mops and buckets and towels to help them, you know? And so over the next several weeks, um, because, you know, the community was passionate about what Whole Foods was doing, they, you know, were able to weather that adversity. Um, so when we talk about these things, you know, core purpose is real simple. It's what difference are you making in the world that goes deeper than profit? What difference are you making in the world you know, money doesn't matter to everybody. What purpose greater than profit is, is happening? And so I'll, you know, share some great examples of some. For Starbucks, their purpose is all about escape. Their core purpose is, you know, it's where do I go to get away to do things? They happen to do, you know, do that by selling coffee in these, you know, in their great shops. Disney is all about happiness and they do that through their parks and their movies. But no, Disney's a really good example. They're delivering happiness in more ways than just the parks. They have movies and the character things. Now they have cruise lines and that core purpose is still being met inside of each and every one of those businesses. It's not about how you do business, it's about what you're doing. Um, Medtronic, the company that's you know, focused on um, diabetes, you know, it's all about restoration. So just some great ways of doing this. And each of these companies is highly profitable, is making a difference in the world according to what is important to them. So I would challenge you to say, what is important to you? In Jim Collins' research, when he wrote the book, Good to Great, um, he discovered that there were some things about core purpose that were important. And so um, here are the five different attributes of a core purpose. They can, you know, it's their, their higher purpose beyond profit. Um, what's really neat about core purpose is that they don't change, but they inspire change. They, the core purpose is big enough that it helps people to work around an obstacle. So when obstacles get in their way, like a flood, they were able to work around that because their purpose was bigger than the profit. It inspires the team, inspires your team, inspires volunteerism. And it's all about the difference that you make in the world. And it was fun when you know our team went through and did this work, what we found out was that our core purpose was to inspire change. And the way we inspire change is through the business coaching. It is through the private wealth services. It is through the succession planning and transition planning that we do with business owners. But if we took those things away, the four of us would still get together and say, okay, where else are we gonna go and inspire change? That's just how we're doing it today. Um, and that allowed us, you know, a, a company that started off as traditional financial advisors become wealth managers um, that, you know, really got into advanced level tax and estate planning to do these things um, and to help our clients when, you know, it was posed, you know, that um, from one of our clients that they didn't know how generation three was going to have enough profit and revenue from the business to support the lifestyle that generation two had 
that inspired us to go and add a whole new skill set to what we do. Um, and it, it provided that workaround for us. So core purpose discovery, how do you go through and figure out if you don't know what your core purpose is, if you don't have that down right the second, what are you doing? Well, number one, if the founder of the business is still around and you have access to them, simply ask the question, why did you start the business? Tell me your story and listen, listen carefully. Often you'll find the core purpose um, is inside of that story. Other important questions to ask the leadership team include, you know, why do we exist? What would happen if we went away? What, and that's really, really neat is what would happen if we went away? And why do we devote our creative energies to what we're doing today? Um, John McKay wrote a book, Conscious Capitalism, and it identified four types of core purposes. Um, so let's you know, take a quick peek at what those four types are. Um, there's the, the good, so choosing to provide service to others, which you know, the corner store um, is exemplary at. Um, the true, the search for truth and knowledge, which Google does that pretty darn well in their business model. Um, the beautiful, the pursuit of beauty, excellence, you know, the, that quest for perfection. That's, isn't that what Apple's all about? That elegant product design. The heroic, um, embracing and acting on a desire to change the world. You know, it's Grom and Banks, um, you know, idea to do that through the lives that, you know, they touch and the efforts that they do. Um, so let's, you know, give you a couple examples of this. Um, one of our coaches recently took an Uber trip, and this is, I say recently, not in the last three months, but, you know, in the last couple of years took an Uber trip. And um, while he was talking with the driver, and oftentimes, you know, the drivers, this is a side gig for them. So part of the conversation is, you know, um, you know, do you, is this part-time for you? Or do you do this, you know, full-time? It was part-time. Um, and he said, you know, you know, what do you do during your day job? And the driver's answer was transporting precious cargo. Um, and immediately, you know, the, the coach said, you know, in his head, you know, that's got to be, you know, is he, a, is he a, a truck driver for a bank or jewelry, diamonds? What's he doing? And the driver said, no, 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 no. I drive a school bus. And the driver proudly declared, my job is to transport precious cargo safely, reliably, affordably, and amicably. Um, the safety of our precious cargo is always our number one priority. And this stuck with our coaching, like there's a company that gets their core purpose really, really, really well, so well that their bus drivers were able to put that together um, and, uh, and, and repeat what their core purpose was. So that was United Quick um, Transportation, United Quick School Buses. Um, a decade ago, a little bit more than a decade ago now, waste management, you know, had looked at itself as a garbage company in a declining market. And they decided to revitalize their core purpose and reinvent themselves. And what they ended up doing is what? They became the largest environmental solutions provider in North America. And we don't all know that. And it doesn't really matter that we know that, but waste management was one of the first ones to come out with the recycling bins and start utilizing them with, with their customers. They developed the largest network of recycling facilities in their industry. And today they've actually developed a renewable energy capability and they produce more than two times the amount of renewable energy than the entire solar industry does. Most people don't know that. And that's just, you know, 
the, the gas coming from the, the places where they dump the garbage, they have found ways to reutilize it. They invested heavily in developing technology to convert organic waste um, into high value compost for local growers as well. So again, it's, you know, one of the things that I would say is that, you know, in a family business, we need to get together between the generations and determine is our core purpose and are our core values still the same because it's really important that you're living the core purpose and the core values that exist today and that everybody you know has a chance to um, say yes to those so um, one of the things that you know we talk about is inside of the core values um, is we explain the theory or research behind each of a principle that, or practice like core values, the way we, you know, then we turn around and we share examples of how we do this and we do a working exercise to apply them. Um, and that has always been a really great way for us to do these things. Um, and we're not going to go through the exercise today, but right now, you know, we would be talking about how do we do this with core purpose as we, you know, we put it out there. So core values is a handful of rules, right? It's a handful of rules, more importantly, that remain constant. Um, and the reason why it's a handful of rules is because as you know, people, we can only hold on to so many. If you've got this list of 17 different rules, nobody's gonna ever remember all of them. Um, a Dell executive um, many, many years ago went to a parent effectiveness training class um, and he came back, he was real excited about it. Um, and he wanted to share it with his team because what he learned from that is when you're parenting children, have a handful of rules, not too many, share and repeat them often and live by them yourself. Make sure you model them. Well, guess what? The same is true with grown adults and within our business that if we have a handful of rules, people can remember them. And if we share them and repeat them often regularly, then people start, they, they, they get hammered home and they understand them. And if you're living them yourself, um, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, as they say, um, that makes it really important that they understand who they are and what's going on. And I think the biggest test, you know, um, of these core values are things like, would you be willing to fire an offender of the values? Would you take a financial hit to the, you know, to your bottom line um, to give up one of your values or, or to, to withhold one of your, your, to hang on to one of your values? Sorry about that. And then are the values alive and well among your people today? I think this is probably one of the most important pieces in there. And, you know, one of the firms that I've worked with, their core purpose was real simple. It was to make good things happen. And you know, one of the ways that they do that and make sure that they're alive among their people is when they see somebody you know, um, hitting on the values and doing good things and making good things happen inside of the business, they, just, they don't have a thank you card, they have a make good things happen card. And somebody writes, a, you know, one of the owners or one of the family members writes a personal note or one of the leaders writes a personal note and says, just want to say, thank you for making good things happen. I saw you doing X, Y, or Z. We really appreciate it. And in that same, you know, line of thinking, they have been doing business down in New York City at times. And um, it's profitable work. There's big jobs down there in the industry that they're in. Um, and there is also corruption. And they have been asked to 
pad a bid or to do things a little differently off the books. And they have always refused and it has cost them jobs at times, but they feel good about where they're at and what they're doing. In this example, Brandy Marsh um, runs a company called Area Floors in the Pacific Northwest um, and had gone to you know, one of these workshops um, where we taught core values and core purpose. Um, and they, they knew what their core values were. They, they were really strong and whoop, sorry about that, and what their core values were. But um, one of the things was ownership mentality. That's one of their core values is that all employees have an ownership mentality, which means what? You're spending wisely. Um, you're looking long-term gain, not just short-term um, as you're doing things. And one of their top sales reps um, was, you know, blatantly not abiding by that value of the business. And when it happened, you know, the, the, the first time, you know, Brandy sat him down and said, just want to share with you, this is not, you know, how we do things here. Um, did it again and they let him go. And they were, she was scared to let one of her top sales reps go. But what happened was amazing is that the junior sales reps all stepped up and eventually became stars in what they were doing. And several of them even, you know, thanked her um, for being and uh, for having and promoting their core values and being serious about maintaining their culture and um, the, you know, their integrity within an in within the industry. So nice stuff. Um, here's Whole Foods. When we look at them, you remember their core purpose is to nourish, nourish um, people and the planet and their core values fit that, right? We sell uh, the highest quality natural and organic foods. We satisfy and delight our customers. We promote team member growth and happiness. We practice win-win partnerships with our suppliers. We create profits and prosperity and we care about our community and the environment. And you, you know, if you go to wholefoods.com, you'll be able to see those things. And one of the things that we would even, you know, if you um, throw to you is if you have a Whole Foods near you, um, walk in and talk to some of the employees and ask them if they know what the company's core purpose and core values are and test that out. I think you'll be surprised at what you find when, when you do that. So the other thing is, you know, how do you make these things come alive for your organization? And here's a company, Macintosh Perry. Um, they have to be yours. And, they, you know, they, they can't just be aspirational. They have to be alive today. And uh, this is just kind of neat. Um, these were the things that were in the core of their DNA. Um, they're, you know, a company, they specialize in land development um, uh, in Canada. Um, but they, you know, they made them unique, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes, treat others as they would like to be treated, right? Make mama proud, do the right thing. Every Macintosh has a core, be a leader. Pass, shoot, score, becoming excellent together, all about teamwork. Always put the cap on the tooth, toothpaste, personal responsibility, and don't forget to cut the ribbon, making a difference. And I just thought that was a really powerful way to do those things. If you have your core values and your core purpose up on a wall someplace, or you have them posted on your website and they're not integrated within the um, organization and they're not alive and well today, 
um, feel free to give us a call and find out, you know, how, how, you know, we, what are the exercises to help you make those things come alive. Um, but do the work with your teams and figure out, you know, what's going on there. I return on trust and, you know, how core values and core purpose really go to enhance that with the teams that you're working with. Jeff, I'm going to call you out just a little bit. You guys, I know, are doing some really neat stuff at uh, Home Leasing. Um, you took the family's core values and said, we're going to become a B Corporation. And for those of you who don't know what a B Corporation is, um, that's, you know, it's a higher level of transparency. It's about doing, you know, good things in the community and good things with the people that you serve and just taking things to a different level. You want to talk, do you mind sharing a little bit about that, Jeff? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was really my sister, Kathy, her baby that she started a number of years ago. Um, and it's been great. It's forced some things like, you know, an open door policy and really sharing financials and even some things that are, are you know, somewhat painful. Um, the one thing we don't share openly is I think salaries and that kind of thing, but we share ownership distributions and, financial statements and um, really from my dad, he's, he's kind of an open book in every respect. So that's been helpful. Um, recently we're navigating everything that's going on. I'm sure every company is having some deep conversations on what to do. And, uh, and I'm just making sure we continue to do what we're best at and, and try not to react too quickly. Um, I don't know, on a personal note, my, my brother-in-law is a police officer, so it makes, you know, makes conversation, conversations interesting lately, to say the least. Um, so. I, I hope that they are um, trusted and open, you know, conversations, because um, we know that there is no, you know, there, there's two sides to every every story, and there's different viewpoints and your brother, your brother, bro, you said brother-in-law, brother? Yeah, my brother-in-law. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I know being a part of that family, he's a good guy and he's one of the good cops that's out there doing the right things. And, um, you know, supporting our police officers is so important. But at the same time, there's a whole community of people that we need to be we need to finally start listening because it hasn't changed since the sixties. It hasn't changed since the 1700s. We have not been listening. Yeah. I, um, I'm on the, it's, a, I don't want to get off whatever topic I'm on the, the boys and girls club board in Rochester and I'm also on the police foundation board. So it doesn't necessarily put me at odds, but it, it the conversations have been interesting and I think that's good, obviously. And, um, the one thing I could share that you reminded me of, and we, we uh, our business is affordable housing development management. We have a construction company. And I'll share that construction is, is not new, but we've really built up that part of the business. And we're now doing some third party work with partners we have. Um, you know, we have a project with Roberts Wesleyan coming up and we've done projects with Heritage Christian and so on. Just that business is a little bit different and um, the mindset's a little different. So that's been a challenge at times. We, we uh, at one point hired 
one of the sort of the best project managers in the area. And uh, we discovered nine months into it that he didn't share the same values and, you know, did some of the things that people used to do, maybe they still do, um, really beat on subcontractors um, and just the behavior on site and the language just didn't fit what we wanted. So um, just like the example of the salesperson who was let go, it was really tough because he, this individual was so good at what he did. It's just his approach didn't make sense. And we found that, you know, you hear uh, hire slowly and fire quickly. And we talk about that a lot. And at times we've, we've waited too long. So, so I'll, I'll be quiet. Listen. No, appreciate you. Appreciate you sharing. You guys keep up the good work and what you're doing. Uh, lot to be proud of over there. Um, I would, I would share that, you know, and Kay, you can attest to this. My whole team can, um, we use the same hiring process, whether, you know, you're the admin person or you're going to come in to be my replacement. Um, and our hiring process is really, really slow. It's took me about five years to get good at it. We do personality profiling, we use Colby, we use a, a number of different assessments, um, and we do that for everybody because um, you know, we, we really wanna get that culture piece done. We want that to be a fit. And a lot of people are like, well, you only got four people on your team, what does it matter? Um, it matters a lot, is you know, really important because for me, if I lose one person, that's 25% of my, my, my team. And, uh, and that's a, a lot. And I would share, you know, we all know the, the numbers when it comes to um, as you're hiring somebody, if you have to replace them, what the, the true cost of that is, is much more than their salary because of all the time of you know, training them and, and doing the work with them. Um, one of the things that we'll be adding as we grow our team over the next, you know, five years or so is um, we're going to be adding in those core values questions and we'll work as a team. We have, you know, I, I shared our core purposes, you know, um, to um, inspire change and that's, don't steal this on me, but I'm going to put that, that's going to be my license plate. Um, I've never wanted a vanity plate my whole entire life, but then when I saw that uh, I could make that fit somehow, like, yeah, that, that's us. Um, but we're going to be adding in, you know, questions about our core values and making sure that people live the core values that, the, the way that we do. And they think that the same way that we do. Um, uh, what is it? Um, Delivering Happiness by uh, Tony Shea, another great book on core values and culture. And, you know, they went so far um, if you haven't heard this story before, this is great. They offered a bonus, and I believe the bonus came out at two months after you were there. And the bonus was um, a, a percentage of your salary, whether it was 10 or 25% as a percentage of your salary, to leave. And if you left the business, you got a bonus to leave the business. Because what that said to the, the culture of that team was that you're not going to be a good fit here. Long term, if you're willing to take that bonus, if that means more to you than how we do business and you know working with your team, um, that's that's putting your money where your mouth is. So, I Michael, really I, I've I've I read that book somewhere. There's uh, I'm so bad with names, but um, 
I'm also been involved with conscious capitalism locally, sure. which we is talked about him. Yeah. Sort of in line with B Corp. And uh, there was a great speaker here uh, a year ago. And I wish maybe you'd help me remember his name, but talked about that. And one of the things we've done, I think, I think we're about two years into it is onboarding, which is really important. So before we train anybody on sort of the technical aspects of their job, and we have an onboarding session, which is a day of going through history and core values and our mission and that kind of thing, which is evolving, but really an important piece we've discovered. And it's sometimes, especially with construction, we're just running so quickly. You just want to put people in place because we need them. But um, anyway, it's just an important Huge. part of the hiring process. Yeah, it's a, it's a part that we still struggle with. We're better at it today than we were five years ago. But this COVID thing got in the way a little bit. You know, we were in the middle. Amy just started with us um, in November. And, you know, so you know, the training has you know, been off a bunch. Um, John McKay, is that who you were talking about, Conscious Capitalism? Was it John McKay? It, no, I know. No, but... I don't know. I'll remember it. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, no worries. The name, but, um, but it was something like that where they would offer someone some kind of a bonus to not even start working there. Maybe if, oh, geez. I don't know. I can't remember. Never mind. That's all right. Well, it's one one I'm over time. I just want to say thank you to everyone for joining us and sharing, you know, with us and listening in as we talk about these things. You know that at Family Wealth and Legacy, we are passionate about family. Um, family is the most important piece of what we do and what we bring to the table. And it's not about the wealth. Wealth to us is more than money. Um, it's the, the values. It's the knowledge that the family brings to the table. And when we talk about legacy, we talk about living a legacy, not just leaving one and working at finding ways to be able to make those things happen. So thank you for joining the Family Biz Show today. Everybody have a great day. Feel free to reach out and contact us at any time. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.